Good afternoon, patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about competition among our kids being devalued. I'll have a new Ryan's rant. And I'll finish up with a story from the positive side of the news. Next, on Living with Liberty. Whatever happened to good old-fashioned competition? It seems the highs and lows of it have been replaced by this idea of equity of outcome, so feelings aren't hurt. Now I'm someone who is very competitive. My wife can attest to this. Even those family board games will have me grumbling and surly if things aren't going my way. Even though many times they are just games of chance, a roll of the dice, a draw of the card. Though, as I've gotten older and maybe somewhat wiser, I think I am a little bit better at dialing back that competitive nature and just playing the game to enjoy the time with my family. Now, I've played competitive sports for many years, or I, I have, I Due to various uh, injuries that I refuse to have repaired at this point, I kind of given up on a lot of that. I still am able to golf, though. And even though I am a hack on the golf course, I still get mad when I don't consistently hit the ball well or improve upon my score from the last time out. You hit a couple of, of good shots, and then you have that expectation going forward. Even if you're someone that only gets out at best once a week, this summer was way less than that, but I digress. It's still still competitive even within myself on, on the golf course. Now, a lot of that has to do with my inner drive and my desire to be known as one of the best or an expert in my field of whatever I'm doing. And that's even whether I have the ability and skills required to be the best at that or not. I have this innate kind of drive to be known as the best at what I do in my job, in my career, and many places along the way I've been recognized as that, as the expert. I've had the, you know, that drive, like I said, playing competitive sports. Um, I always want to be doing my best and, and compete and be known as one of the best out there. I And it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll compete with myself. I'll make make things like little games for myself just to see if I can improve upon what I did the last time. I'll compete with others or even just compete against previously established outcomes just to try and be the best, just to try and improve upon them. Uh, you know, obviously not running the hundred meters or anything, but let's say other stuff within my, my career. And, and like I said, on the golf course, right. And these are the ideas I try to instill in my kids. And I try to instill in the kids I coach, do your best, strive to be just a little better than last time. Now I've coached a lot of rec leagues and uh, yeah, I, I the, the first thing I tell the kids is I, anytime we're on the field, I like to have fun. This should be fun, but also we need to do our best. We need to put our best foot forward and I'm going to train you that way. Even though it's a rec league, we're going to train and just try and get a little bit better each time we're out here, we need to strive to be just a little better than the last time. The, out, the outcome of the games, you know, at the end of the day, yes, we'd get on the kids and say, we know you're not doing your best. You're not even trying, but that's part of coaching them. That's part of building them out to be the best. But at the end of the day, we sit them down at the end of the game and say, look, you guys, 
you did your best out there. You improved throughout the game. You didn't do your best in the first half. You did certainly in the second half have had plenty of games like that. You guys improved and you let them know. That's what we try to instill in the kids, whether it's my own or even when I'm coaching, even when I'm uh, counseling kids or working with kids in maybe a youth group setting or something, just be a little bit better than you were the last time. It's part of that competitive nature is just to be a little bit better than the last time. And you do this and you coach along these ways and you have this mindset and you instill this mindset in your kids. And before you know it, there's an improvement of a significant amount because that happens over time. If you improve just a little bit and kind of compete in that manner to be improved just a little bit each time you do something, you look back and you say, wow, I've really come a long way. And that's what's getting lost these days. Somewhere along the line, our schools have driven out that healthy competition amongst the students as have a lot of the rec leagues uh, and the rec league sports that kids are involved in. A lot of these leagues now don't even keep score anymore since that would make the losing team feel bad. Now, I've been in, uh, involved in, in some of these leagues. The kids will keep, you'll be surprised that you'd be surprised. The kids do keep track of the score themselves. But many of the leagues themselves, are, there's scoreboards out there that they're not even using anymore because... We don't want that losing team to feel bad. Everybody came out and tried. Well, I get it. It's a rec league. Again, do your best. And at the end of the day, just improve a little bit. Compete. There's going to be teams that you're going to compete against. That There's kids better than you. Compete against that and, and make yourself a little bit better. You may not get to their level. Everybody's talented a different way. But get to that level. Just improve yourself a little bit each day and you look back. And you'll be surprised how far you've come. And I've and I've always, at the end of uh, any season I've coached, that's been my message. As I've looked back and have, you know, depending on the age of the kids, of course, once they're older, they understand a little bit more. But you have them look back to where they were when they came in on day one and you started working with them to the last day. And it's amazing the improvement that goes on. And our schools and our rec leagues, sports, are just trying to throw this all away. Now, in our state capital, Madison, the People's Republic of Madison, for the people that live here and know what I'm talking about with that one, the school district has stated that the lowest score anyone can get in there in the school district anymore is a 50%. And that's whether you get a lower score on an assignment test, whatever, if you get a lower score than 50% or you just fail to turn in an assignment or a test, you're going to get a 50%. This is universal basic income for students. That's what this is. All you got to do is breathe. You're going to get 50%. Now, what's the next step here going to be? The next step will be taking points from students who actually study and work hard and work to get their good grades, the meritocracy approach. The next step here is they're going to take and reduce those kids' scores so they have extra points to redistribute to those students that are just skating by on the the universal basic income for students here. They want to do this. It's because they want everybody to be equal. They don't want hurt feelings. You know what? You don't think this will happen? You think I'm crazy here? Just wait for those magic words from the bureaucrats in charge. 
No, you know what those words are. That'll never happen. Once those words are uttered, you know then that this is coming, that whatever it is they said wasn't going to happen, you know it's coming. What is this teaching kids? Teaches them you show, you hey, all you got to do is show up and you'll, we'll give you 50% just for, for drawing breath. Basically, you don't have to do anything. Also paired within this Madison School District, students who fail a class won't get an F. No, true. They, they are, are not going to give out Fs anymore. They'll give them a no pass, which will not count towards their GPA. I'm serious. This is an actual thing. I will link the article. I wish I was making it up, but something this stupid cannot be made up. Hollywood couldn't write this. And because universal basic grades and eliminated failing grades weren't enough to satisfy the Madison School District hunger for equity that puts students at a disadvantage, and that's what we're doing here is we do stuff like this. It's putting our students at a disadvantage because this stuff wasn't enough to, to fill up the bucket of equity. They are also delib uh, debating eliminating honors classes because of the disparities in de the demographics of standalone honors classes. So because we have, uh, let me back up a second. I'm all for, you give the students whatever they need to succeed. You get them all. If someone needs help in reading, then they need to have help in reading. If someone needs help in math because they're behind their peers, then they need to get that help in math. Anybody rational, Anybody that has a kid's best interest in heart isn't going to debate those. Yes, I'm a conservative, but I don't debate that we need uh, equity in that manner where kids that need the help get the help. That is the appropriate manner for equity. If, if there's a, a kid falling behind their peers, then they need to get the help. But it, it's stupid crap like this because we're going to eliminate honors classes because of the disparities in the demographics of the standalone honors classes. Now you're you have kids that are getting in there because of the meritocracy, not be and and yeah, the demographics probably suck of it. But look into why that is. Is that because it, it goes back beyond the school? It goes back uh, back beyond the demographics. It goes back to the family unit. What's going on in the family unit? We've destroyed the structure these kids need to be successful. Again, not a guarantee that a, 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 a traditional family unit is going to be a guarantor of success in the future, but it gives a kid a base from which to work with. But no, we, we just blame it on the demographic. We're not seeing what we want demographically, so we're just going to get rid of it altogether. And now we're going to put everybody at the same disadvantage. We're going to make everybody equal. Everybody can come in and, and get a 50% just for breathing. Just stupid. I swear, these people pushing this garbage are locusts. They come across something decent that's flowering and flourishing, and they devour, devour it, turning it into a big pile of crap. They strip all the vitality from it and leave society with a wilty, rotting stem that you can't do anything with, that puts us behind the rest of the world. Now I look at it this way. If we are not keeping score, how do we teach kids the value of competition? 
and the value of using that score to try and improve. And by keeping score, it can be on the field in sports. It can be uh, the grades, right? It can be uh, those honors classes. It can, that's still keeping score. It, it can be uh, a class ranking, right? One through whatever, 500. I think my class had something like four or 500 in it by the time we got to be seniors. You have that class ranking. That's the the, the value of competition. You, you know where you stand and say, okay, if I want to be number 10, I want to move up 10 spots. Here's probably what I've got to do, right? I know where I'm at now. Here's what I've got to do to improve. We lost this game three to nothing, a soccer game three to nothing. That's in soccer. That's, you know, really, that's getting your ass kicked in soccer three to nothing. What do we got to do to improve the next time? But we're driving out the value of competition. And we're driving out the, the value of scorekeeping as a method to try and improve. To uh, Scorekeeping is a data point. What do we do? We talk about data and we use data to improve. That We're taking a data point away from our kids on, on a, visible, uh, a visible way for them to check and see, okay, here's where I stand today. What do I need to do to improve? And we're taking away the ability for coaches and mentors to utilize that to say, hey, here's what you got to do to improve. If we do not keep score, how are they going to be ready to enter into a workforce that demands that you keep score? If schools are handing out universal basic grades, what is that going to drive in terms of the mindset students have when they enter the workforce? They are going to expect to get paid 50% of their salary just for showing up and drawing breath. Hey, I showed up today. Give me half my, my salary. And since I can live on half my salary, I'm not going to do anything else. I don't need to do anything else. I'm getting paid to do nothing. That's the mindset that this drives. But then reality will hit them right between the eyes when they get fired for not doing anything because companies actually expect you to add value when you are on their payroll. Or then again, maybe it won't. It's distinctly possible that because the precedent was set, that minimum achievement was 50% for basically being alive. The lesson here is never learned that you have to actually put forth effort to succeed. We're just going to give you 50% for showing up. And this will lead us to end up with a society of people who have the expectation they will get something for nothing. To a certain degree, we're probably there now with a certain subset, especially the way uh, our politicians like to give away money because it's um, it's the compassionate thing to do. No, it's not the compassionate thing to do. And you fools know exactly what you're doing. And now it's leaking down to our schools because we're going to give kids 50%, a 50% minimum score just for showing up. No matter the effort put forth, zero effort, maximum effort, you get 50% if you fall below that. And again, you probably think I'm crazy with my little uh, example about them taking uh, uh, and reducing the scores of the uh, the students with the higher achievements, so they have points to get to the give to the ones with the lower achievements, so they can uh, achieve the the equity across the board. Just wait, that stupidity it wouldn't at this point wouldn't surprise me if that happens. If schools don't assign failing grades and take away the impact of the uh on to the gpa of that failing grade what does that signal to the student it says there's no consequences to actions it says 
that it is everyone else's fault but yours for failing that class. We're not going to hold you accountable for failing the class. We're not going to give you the mechanism to say, here, you need to improve and have something we can point to in order to coach you on how to improve. We're just going to say, nah, forget it. You know, it's we're not going to give you any consequences for that. So what what is that going to lead to? Well, if it's not going to if something's not going to affect my GPA and what isn't clear here is if you get a no pass in a class, do you have to take it over? Um, and knowing Madison and what they're doing there, I would say you just get the no pass and move on. I, I don't think there's a, well, you have to retake it because you got a no pass. I think it's just uh, whatever. So what does that mean? That means if I don't particularly like something, I can fail it on purpose, not uh, have it impact my GPA and still do well in the other courses that I, I actually like and I'm interested in and, and have an interest in doing well. And, you know, I'll have a perfect GPA. Because all the stuff I don't want to do, I'll just purposely fail. And it won't affect my GPA. And then I can, uh, you know, throw that in front of a, a Harvard or a, a Yale. If if that's, you try wouldn't go to any of those schools. Those are disasters. But, you know, I'm saying you can go to one of those premier schools then and say, hey, look at my GPA. It's fantastic. And those institutions are so woke, they'll just say, oh, yeah, hey, that's great. Whatever. They won't even question the, the the no pass scores on the rest of your transcript. It, this just spirals downhill into um, into society becoming dumber, right? And and becoming lazier, and and becoming super complacent and reliant on a government that isn't going to do anything for you. But when they put these policies in place, nobody ever thinks about those things. It just sounds good. So let's do it. There, there's no, when you're talking about liberals and the left, there's no a thought of what the consequences might be. It's just, oh, this is, this sounds really good and it makes people feel good. So let's do it. Well, what are the consequences of it? Because the consequences show up later. And then every, and then we're in a big mess. And then, People wonder what happened because so many of us have been complacent. Now, I, I think we've got a lot of awakening that's happening. Madison, I don't think this, I don't think they push back on what they're doing in Madison. But if that came to my town, there certainly would be pushback for sure. But there's no thought to the consequences to this. We're teaching our kids that there's no consequences for your actions by doing stuff like this. Now, again, this is, these ideas are all well and good right? Protect the students' feelings. We're doing it for the kids is what you'll hear. But it's all well and good until the, that student grows up and starts adulting. Once repeated failures show up in the work environment, the pink slips start to come their way. Well, that, that, that's true unless you work in government. Then incompetence and failure is a, a celebrated thing there. So if, if the pink slips come your way, if you're not lucky enough to land a government job, but if you're if you're in government, incompetence and failure is is will be celebrated. They'll throw you parties and parades and everything else. But that's what we're teaching our kids is that there you won't have consequences, so don't worry about it. But then you'll get in the real world, and the consequences come your way because companies need you as a worker to generate value for that company.
they're in the business. It's it's about making money. That's the bottom line. What's the score? How are we doing on making money? If you fail, you know, it's it, no company's going to fire you or decent company. I'll put it this way. No decent company is going to fire you for an outright failure, especially at lower levels. It gets different as you climb the ladder, of course. Uh, the the responsibility grows and grows, and it might be one major failure that eh, you better resign or be fired. But at the lower levels, all the companies I've been a part of, I've made mistakes. Nobody once has given me a, a, a pink slip for making one mistake. But I learned from that mistake and moved on because I knew there was a consequence to that mistake, whether it had been something that uh, hurt the company, whether it had been something that may have been a coaching moment for me from a a manager. There was a consequence of some sort to me screwing something up, but that's, we're teaching our kids with these types of policies that there aren't any consequences to screwing up. So go ahead. And and then they'll get in a workforce. Like I said, they'll screw up, they'll keep screwing up and they'll figure, well, it's, I'm just getting my no pass. I I keep getting a pass on this. They'll, They'll get talked to, but it won't register. And eventually the registration will come maybe when they get fired. That's what we're teaching our kids with these policies here. If we don't keep score, if we don't grade performance against some sort of standard, how do we know we are winning? How do we know where we stack up in the world? Part of the educational experience is to prepare kids, especially when they get to high school, for the working world. That means training them in accountability. That means training them how to learn from failure and bounce back and be resilient in the face of failure. We learn more from failure than we do from success. That's the other damaging piece of this, of sheltering kids from failure. They don't learn how to be resilient. I see it over and over, especially with kids coming out of college. They are not resilient because they've been sheltered from failure. And all this means we need to keep score. We have to keep score. We have to have some standard to measure ourselves against in order to uh, know where we need to improve. Competition drives us to be better. If we take that away because feelings will be hurt when there are winners and losers, or because some bleeding heart educrat thinks it's a good idea to give students a 50% universal basic grade just because they are breathing, then we slide further behind the rest of the world. We already have and are in many respects. I covered in my last show how we have a skills gap among our workforce in this country. That is a part of that is is a, a result of what we do in our schools. That is in relation to our failing public schools. That skills gap. We're not we don't change. We haven't adapted to what's the, the, the working world is demanding as far as skills from our people go. And now I have one other measure here to illustrate the point that we are lagging behind the world in terms of student achievement. The Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, test compares reading, math, and science scores among 15-year-old students and is administered every three years, and it's international. Now, To be fair, if you research the PISA test, you will find a love-hate relationship with it. There didn't seem to be too much middle ground as I was researching this. 
It either held up, it's either held up as the gold standard in comparing student achievement internationally or just poo-pooed and is not as uh, it doesn't really tell you much of anything. There's no middle ground here. It's <laughs> some countries really love it. Some media outlets really love it and some really hate it. And not to get too far down the rabbit hole on this one, but it seemed like the ones that loved it, their countries were doing well. And the ones that were poo-pooing it, the countries weren't doing so well. United States was had plenty of articles poo-pooing this thing. Either way, whatever you think, it's a data point for consideration. And I'll trust you all to review it and draw your own conclusions on the PISA test and what it actually means or doesn't mean. Now, in 2015, the U.S. ranked 25th in science, 38th in math, and 25th in reading. In 2018, the scores were a bit better. Uh, U.S. ended up 11th in reading. It stayed 38th in math and was up to 18th in science. Now, math is a big concern here. We're not making any ground. In math, the U.S. lagged behind countries like China, Singapore, Japan, all of which were in the top five of achievers. I believe Singapore and China were like one and two. Both years are very close to it. Other countries that were lagging behind in math, Canada, the UK, Russia, and Estonia. So it's not just those Asian countries, which have that stereotype of being very strong in mathematics. And they are, they focus on it, but we're also uh, lagging behind call it Eurocentric type countries as well. Canada, UK, Russia, Estonia. Like I said, the, the PISA test is just a, a data point. But given that's a data point, those last, and that's what we have to measure right now, right? It's, it's a measurement. The last two tests don't bode well for the U.S. students uh, on, the national, on the international stage. It says we are lagging behind our chief rivals in terms of math achievement, which isn't good if you think down the road to all the technical skills and, and, and um, technical um, abilities we need in our, in our economy, in the economy of the future. We need technical abilities. A lot of that is related to math. It's related to things like computer science, which has got a fair amount of math in it. We are lagging behind, and we're lagging behind our chief rivals on the world stage. We don't necessarily need to be number one in math. But when China is number one, when Russia is ahead of us, and our score in the U.S. lands us at 38th ranked in the world in terms of our math scores, that has to be some cause for concern, especially when we didn't show any improvement, especially coming on the heels of my last show where I said we have a skills gap in this country, and a lot of it's due to uh, a lot of being able to do the, the, these technical things like math. It says what we are doing, the lack of improvement, the low ranking, it says we are, uh, what we are doing isn't working as far as teaching our kids, and it's putting us at a disadvantage on the world stage. Instead of working on improvements, our school systems are more concerned with figuring out ways to absolve students of any accountability for their performance. Instead of working on improvements, we are working on uh, ways to make competition kind of a less of a focal point so feelings aren't hurt. Feelings do get hurt in competition, but there's one of two ways you can take that. I've had plenty of times where my feelings were hurt because either I didn't play well, my team didn't play well, we got our butts handed to us. Those hurt feelings should be harnessed to drive towards an improvement. It should be used to, to 
to uh, as a uh, checkpoint on what we're doing. If we're hurt about something, we need to analyze why. Those hurt feelings should give us a steely resolve to be better the next time around in whatever it is we do. And I would say it goes far. It's not necessarily even hurt feelings. It's, hey, you know what? I could do better and I know it. And we're mad with ourselves. That's what it is here. It's not even the hurt feelings. I think a lot of times it's it's we're mad at ourselves. We know we are better than that or we want to be better than that. Or we know we can be better than that. We just weren't prepared. We need to have a resolve to, to utilize that to be better, to be resilient. This competition teaches resilience. And like I said, that's lacking. We need to be better in that. Just handing, doing things like handing out minimum grades for showing up or eliminating the penalty for failing a class only serves to put our students and ultimately our workforce and our country further behind the rest of the world. The real world demands accountability and scorekeeping. You don't think for a second that China isn't doesn't have and promote uh, a competition amongst their students. I'm sure they're. I I want to. I don't. I might not be fully accurate on this, but I want to say at one time I I remember seeing that they post it right in the front of their classes who's where to generate that competition, to weed out those that aren't uh, willing to to uh, work and and and. Uh, rise to the top. And again, I, uh, my memory could be a, a little bit uh, off on that, but I seem to remember at one point reading something like that. If we don't train our students up in being uh, the principles of competition, of, of accountability, of, of scorekeeping, of being resilient, then we will continue our slide into an, uh, an, uh, into being an also ran on the world stage. It's time for another Ryan's rant. Today's topic, logic and truth coming from the left. Today's rant might be less of a rant and more of a statement or insight or even amazement of how there is some semblance of agreement, even with those with whom we disagree. I'm talking about conservatives and liberals. I find that I am agreeing with people like Bill Maher quite a bit these days. Now, he, of course, is no conservative, not by a long shot. However, he recognizes the dangerous path this country is on in terms of the censorship of information by big tech, as well as the constant misinformation by the media. And I'll even go as far as to say as as looking at things strictly from an emotional standpoint instead of using actual data to substantiate positions. I'll give Mar credit. He actually does his research. And the latest clip I saw had him skewering your typical know-nothing know leftist on, how, uh, on his show, on Mar's show, about how much the rich actually pay in taxes. Now, the topic that was brought up, I believe Mar brought this up, it was that the richest 65,000 New Yorkers pay over 50% of the taxes in New York City. Now, of course, his guest goes into the emotional diatribe about how the rich have been having their taxes cut for the last 50 years and, you know, emotion this, emotion that. Uh, you know, Mar, to his part, because he, he does uh, play on the left side, said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm all for income equality in that, but let's not lie here. Mar straightens his guests out. 
telling them stop lying. The rich do not do, they do, sorry, they do, the rich do pay the majority of the taxes. Now the light is even going on for people like Whoopi Goldberg, who seems to have finally figured out the Biden tax hike is going to hit her wallet. Well, welcome to the party, Whoopi. The rest of us have been trying to tell you that for a year plus, that Biden was going to raise your taxes. You let your TDS get in the way. Hell, you didn't even believe it when he said he was going to raise taxes. He literally said, I'm going to raise your taxes. Or did you just think, Whoopi Goldberg, that you'd get the usual loophole on that? Now that these tax hikes are on the doorstep, Whoopi and a number of other celebrities are suddenly concerned about the government taking more of their money. I, I guess better late to the party than never. There's not a whole hell of a lot that can be done about it now, Whoopi. Sorry, you're going to have to live with it. And finally, this is, uh, I think, one I've been trying to sneak into a show here. Uh, Nicki Minaj. I mean, she is one. I mean, I'll, you know, I think we all make fun of, of celebrities and their dopiness at times. Nicki Minaj is one smart woman. And I think the cancelers uh, are picking the wrong fight here. Now, again, ideologically, Minaj and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Maybe not total opposite ends, but certainly probably in disagreement on more issues than we're in agreement on. But what I do respect and what I do agree with her on is the stance that she took on taking things slow with the vaccine and making sure that you do the research and that the choice is the best one for you. That is what she said. That is all she said. She's, and she said, you know, wear your mask, do this, whatever else that, you know, they're propagating we do that doesn't actually end up working to stop the spread of the virus. But Nicki Minaj said, wear your mask, the one with the double ear loops, whatever she put on her uh, post. But do your research on this thing. Make sure it's the right thing for you to do. That's all she was saying. She said she would probably, after she did her research, end up getting the vaccine. But because she had uh, an unapproved thought, she got booted from Twitter. So she had 22 million followers on Twitter, or I should say dead before she got the boot for her unapproved uh, thought. I'm not sure if she's been allowed back onto that cesspool or not, but she said she wouldn't be going back on. So we'll see what happens there. What I do know is, is this demonstrates certainly to her 22 million followers, certainly to all my listeners who know, because we've talked about this before, the left will eat their own, and they're eating their own here with Nicki Minaj. But she is not having any of it. She doesn't care. Why? Because she realizes the dangerous path we're on. Get the vaccine, don't. It doesn't matter. Do your research is what she's saying. I think that's what a lot of us are saying. And if you choose not to, it's because you deemed it wasn't right for you. If you did, you deemed it was right, the right thing for you to do. Uh, who cares? That's all Nicki Minaj is saying here. Do your research. Be comfortable with your decision. The other good thing here is we have high-profile individuals on the left who are now waking up to the realization that we are going down a very dangerous path, a path that will threaten their livelihoods. They're finally seeing it. You're going to take more taxes from me? You're going to cancel me off of Twitter? You're going to come in here and, and spout off more misinformation and nonsense on my show? 
they see it. Bill Maher, Nicki Minaj, realize that the regime will come for them too for their unapproved opinions. They realize that they will not be spared, even if they vote Democrat, even if they agree with 90, 95, 99% of what's being pushed by the left. It's the one unapproved thought that they're going to be uh, chastised and that the left will come after them for. They won't be spared. They see it. Whoopi Goldberg is doing the math on those proposed tax hikes and sees the massive chunk of income she will lose to the black hole that is government spending. She finally woke up. Now, the other, I guess, if you read this, I'll post a story, but, you know, a couple of the Joy Behar, the other couple other ding-dongs on The View um, were still taking the lemming approach. No, no, raise the taxes on the rich. They probably don't make anywhere near what Whoopi Goldberg makes, so it's less of a chunk for them, but I'll guarantee you probably every one of them make more than any of us do. <laughs> but Whoopi Goldberg's pumping the brakes on this thing, saying, oh, wait, hold on. I mean, <laughs> we're going to see some massive chunks taken out. And, and you know, that could be stuff that, that's used for people taking care of their grandkids or or their families or whatever the case may be. I think we're turning a corner here. We may finally be starting to emerge from the wilderness of stupid. And what we needed was some of these prominent uh, people on the left to come out uh, and, and start saying such that what's going on is stupid. It needs to stop. It's going to come for us all at some point. So there is hope on the horizon here, I think. We just keep pressing ahead and keep pushing our message uh, forward. And hopefully people like Bill Maher, Nicki Minaj, yes, even Whoopi Goldberg can pull more of those high-profile individuals along with them. Okay, and as promised, my last story of the day here to leave you all on a good note. This one comes to us from Canada and is about a young dad who quit his job as a plumber to start his own business. Noah Fladiger didn't go to college, but did have an encouraging force in his life that told him that he could make good money by learning a skilled trade. Flatiger found plumbing to be a good fit, so he started out working for a plumbing firm in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And after doing that for four years, he decided to go into business for himself in 2019. Flatiger's wife, Caitlin, told the Epic Times of the family members and friends who were hesitant of Noah quitting his stable, well-paying job while the couple had two young children and themselves to support in doing this in order to start a business venture that had no guarantees of success. But two years later, and through many six and seven day work weeks, Flatiger's plumbing business now has multiple employees and just landed a 40 room plumbing installation in a new hotel. It's good to see that hard work and meritocracy are still rewarded in this world, that they're still alive and that these are the kind of stories we need to be promoting, especially to our young people. Noah Flatiger is also, uh, his story is a great case study in what success you can have, even though you don't go to, to college and get the four-year degree. Instead, you take the trade school route or even an apprenticeship, and then you take on the risk to open your own business if if you don't want to uh, you know, continue on, you know, maybe working for some sort of contractor or something. 
Flatiger could have very easily carved out a great life, continuing on in his job with that initial plumbing company he was working for. However, he took the extra step in life. He wanted to do something better. He has that, keeping with a little bit of a theme, right? He has that internal competitive desire to be better. He had that uh, notion to take a little risk and start his own business. And now his hard work is being rewarded. These are the kinds of stories we need to bring to light for our students, especially in high school, who are trying to decide what to do with their next step in life. It's okay that college isn't the, you know, wouldn't be the next step. It's okay to say that college isn't the only path to success. There are other paths like working a trade that can be just as profitable and rewarding as a college degree combined with climbing a corporate ladder. And it might be more so because if you open your own business, you work for yourself and you're probably doing something that you're even more passionate about than uh, maybe that degree you got in the job you're holding in whatever company. Flatiger's story is a good lesson in meritocracy and how hard work and dedication, while they're not guarantors of success, will undoubtedly lead to good things in whether it be a success or a failure. Meritocracy and working hard and, and taking the risk and having a little bit of a, a competitive desire does ultimately lead to something prosperous. May not seem like it at the time, but I think if we all look back over the course of our lives, those hard times when we're trying to be uh, in the middle of things and being competitive and it's hard, those are the points we grow most and have gotten us to where we're at today. I think these are the stories like the stories of the Noah Flattigers of the world are what we need to promote to our kids, our students, our young people to say, this is what you can do through hard work and dedication to something you're passionate in. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Don't forget uh, this month, in support of the fallen Marines in Afghanistan, all proceeds from merchandise sales will go to the A Soldier's Child Foundation. Again, that's through the end of the month, through September 30th. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow for reviews. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. 
We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.